Hi, I'm Matt Kirkegaard, and thanks to Cry Malt, this is Beer is a Conversation. This week, we have a chat with one of the great characters of the Australian brewing industry, Tom Delmont. We've met Tom on the podcast before, and you can go back to that episode to find out a little bit more about how this former quarantine entomologist became brand ambassador for Mountain Goat, introduced the man who had become the crafty pint to Australian beer, and founded Fixation Brewing. We recorded this episode the day before Fixation's Melbourne home, The Incubator, opened its doors, and we speak to Tom this time about why his brewery needed a home, how they will manage the relationship with their client pubs, and whether they will be seen as competitors, and also the evolution of IPA in all its forms. Enjoy the conversation. Delmont, thank you for uh, joining us on Viewers Conversation. Oh, thanks so much for coming in, Matt. Really appreciate you yeah, squeezing us to, into the trip uh, to Melbourne. Yeah, mate, we're sitting in the uh, the incubator. Um, yeah. Talk us through the incubator and uh, your opening tomorrow night. Uh, yeah, we're uh, gently opening the doors tomorrow from 4pm and uh, we're thrilled to, to be allowed to open the doors and... Um, it's our home, uh, so Fixation Brewing's spiritual home and our ideas brewery. We have a, a 600 litre uh, brewery here, uh, four fermentation vessels and four serving tanks or bright tanks. Uh, whatever we won't serve out of the bright tanks, we'll rack into kegs and work on lots of new hoppy ideas and have lots of fun really. So uh, working on, we've done 10 brews so far and thrilled to have a home. So what's the idea of, uh, you know, Fixation is an IPA brewery that's uh, been based out of uh, Stone and Woods operation up in Byron Bay and Moolumba, but has always had its own identity. What's the idea of opening the incubator and opening your own face in Melbourne? Well, the guys and I, uh, my business partners and um, the Stone and Wood team, we're uh, very proud to have amazing production capabilities up there and quality control and, and make consistently great IPA. We always wanted to have a home at some point uh, we just had to sell a few kegs first and get rolling um, and most of our beer is sold in Melbourne I'm, I live in Melbourne and it's our home uh, we luckily had a brewer who was keen to move back to Melbourne Sam Bethune and uh, and Anthony moved down to help set up the front of house and and the venue um, but we uh, you know Melbourne is our home uh, maybe it is the now the home of craft brewing I guess at the moment there's lots of you know stories about you know what's the, the hottest place at the moment or what's the, the birthplace, but I guess Melbourne's got a lot of uh, love for good IPA and, uh, and it makes sense that we support our brand by having a home here. We've seen uh, a real change. Uh, you know, we, we've talked in the past on the podcast about the evolution of, of beer and the developing of the market and the market is currently going in some places I don't think anyone really expected. You know, I think when everyone opened, wanted to open breweries five or six years ago, it was to become production breweries. And we've seen a bit of a shift in the market, um, whether it's Brewdog coming in and rolling out a string of tap rooms. We've seen some major hospitality operations invest in breweries um, almost to you know, give them access to, to beers for their venues. Um, Stone and Wood has uh, indicated that they're going to open a little um, incubator uh, or a, you know, a brand um, venue in Brisbane mm. um, and the, the, the brewery bar seems to be 
you know, a very important aspect of many breweries' operations these days. What do you think is driving that? You know, why is uh, a venue so important to a... Well, I mean, we always wanted to have a home, and we, but we, we think it's critical to have a place that consumers can, and drinkers can come and visit, learn all about your business and your beers, uh, what makes you tick, try new things and interact directly with the people behind the company. Um, it's, it's sort of, I think it's becoming more and more important and I think we've been saying this for probably five or ten years that the, this, the, the, the tap room or the, um, the visitor experience was probably always attached or mostly attached to a production brewery in Australia's you know, early craft brewing history um, and that has changed now I think as people are realising there's only you know so many taps out there for uh, craft you know beers and uh, and to have a, a retail component that can support your business going forward but also it ties into the hyper local trend um, to attach yourself to your local community uh, it helps to have a base um, obviously there are some uh, companies doing it because they don't have much of a base in that market or that area and that's their way in. Um, I think that will probably be seen as a different move to supporting um, your brand in a certain area. So uh, for instance, opening a bar is different to opening a brewery and tasting room. Yep. And I see that as very much probably competing with some of your supporting venues as opposed to supporting your brand and being a part of your local community and, and looking after trade in your space. So that's probably an evolution that, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see we'll see varying levels of that and probably some that become tap rooms or uh, attached to a brewery and some that go towards the bar. And we have seen a few already pop up. How hard are those politics to manage that you're both a supplier to hotels, but at the same time, in a sense, you're going to be competing against some when you do open a, a venue like this? Yeah, we, we got on the front foot and spoke to you know some of our key supporters two years ago. Um, there's no doubt that a minority of um, publicans uh, do see it as an issue. I know I've heard of uh, some publicans in uh, other markets say, well, within 5Ks, you're a competitor to my pub. In, uh, recently, I heard that and say in a certain city, uh, not Melbourne, uh, th this pub wouldn't you know, have a beer on that was so close to his pub. Yep. Um, but we see that as uh, supporting the brand, helping them to sell more of our beer. The other thing uh, that we're trying to do is we're not doing food, so we're not cooking palmers and running a full kitchen. We're not running a spirits or back bar, and we're shutting by 10 p.m., so no live music. So we want people to come and have a beer, have a tasting paddle, and head out and enjoy Fitzroy, Collingwood, and surrounds. And hopefully it's improving the area. that was. This was previously an empty building for four or five years. There was graffiti on the inside. Um, so I think it's, it's, a, it's adding to the area, um, but also yeah, providing us with that much needed home and ideas brewery. If we wanted to, we could scale up and we might make a beer here that we love so much and people you know, resonate um, really well with that. We, we could make more of it and, um, and scale up, but we would move that to our production brewery um, and our business partners brewery up in Merba. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, I don't know if that answers the question, I probably, you know, I think you've got to manage that politics and get on the front foot and explain that that's part of the plan, you know, early days. I mean, it's, we always knew it was getting more and more important to have a home. So I had those conversations two years ago before I'd found a location, um, just to make sure that our key 
you know, our key supporters knew this was an evolution of our business. Yeah, we have started to see articles come out from the US where breweries are opening, pubs are closing, or bars are closing, um, and they're closing much faster than they're opening um, in, in the States. Do you see that, is it a case that a city only has so much capacity for a certain number of taps, um, and that if there are taps opening in breweries that we're gonna see taps closing in hotels? Well, I don't know. I think um, the, the definitely the offer has to be there from both sides. So, um, so yeah, great pubs in Melbourne are going really well. The good operators I know are really busy and they're putting out great food. Their uh, pubs are places that I want to go to, and that won't change. Um, so I don't think uh, I don't think a brewery tasting room without a kitchen you know, is going to replace a community. I think pubs are intrinsically linked to the community, especially in Melbourne. Um, and Melbourne is very different to somewhere like Brisbane. Yes, yeah, I think we probably have much bigger hotel groups, uh, more poker machines and that kind of thing. I think the inner city, yeah, the inner city pubs in Melbourne generally going well. We also have strong population growth, which probably helps to fuel some of that um, just growth in uh, consumption in the inner city as well. Uh, but yep, certainly there's only a, there's only a certain number of taps that are available. Um, you know, we never expected to have a six and a half percent IPA on tap in every venue in Melbourne. Um, that's that's pretty unexpected. Um, so we uh, we you know we knew that um, we had to bring out you know a more sessionable offering as we went forward, and that would probably you know pretty quickly. And it has proven to be half of our volume uh, in the obsession, the session IPA, as opposed to our main IPA. But that won't stop us just talking about. IPAs and, and trying to lead the way there, but I think, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think the tasting room attached to a brewery is ever going to replace a community pub that's run well. Yeah. And I guess that's the key, run well. So what is a good community pub? I think it, it has lots of events on, it ties into sponsoring the local kindergarten fete to the local um, trivia night to the local musician playing on a Friday night to having a you know a good family friendly offering on a Monday and a Tuesday night probably a good range of beers if they want to attract me in there um, but I'm a bit selfish perhaps um, you know and, and I think if uh, it, and I like familiar faces so if I if I have great service and a, and a, a good bartender and and good wait staff and and get to know the team then I will Get frequent that venue a lot more. So and pubs don't have pokies down here, do they? Most of the inner city pubs don't have a poker machine license or any pokey room attached, unlike you know Sydney, Adelaide, uh, where they might have some tucked away or a huge forty, you know, poker machine wing. Um, so that's you know that is I think that has really helped to keep the pub culture alive in the more densely populated suburbs in Melbourne. Yeah. Mm. So, which is, I think, a good thing. Absolutely, and yeah. you, you've, I, 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 you know, it's been something I've been musing for a while, and I don't know Melbourne well enough to really understand, but you walk into a Melbourne pub and it's very different to a Sydney pub or a Brisbane pub, and I actually think that pokies have, instead of saving the pubs up there, has actually killed them by mm. killing the culture. Yeah, it certainly has put a lot more money into renovation sometimes. Um, I see there are some poker machines in pubs in Sydney that are hidden away, um, and there might be only a, a small room. Um, and those pubs that are run well seem to still be, you know, tied to the local community. You'll still have the oldies in early for a schooner, and you know, have reshes, and then you know the young ones in later in the beer garden. I think um, uh, it's it's you know it's certainly. Uh, I was in Adelaide 
as a youngster and working in pubs at, you know, before I was able to sell booze, I'd be in the restaurant or whatever working away at 14 and um, I saw a poker machine licenses come in and every pub that could afford it put in 40 machines and renovated the whole pub and, and knew that that was going to make a lot of money. So it, it changed the whole it, it, Well, it changed the pub and it allowed them to renovate, but at the same time it gets away from that community because you just, you, you hear stories of if there's one person drinking beer in a pub, you're not going to stay open because you're not going to cover wages. If you've got one person playing pokies in a pub, you'll stay open because you know that you're going to cover the wages for that venue. And there's just, and to get people in to play pokies, you actually, you know, they subsidise cheap, pokies subsidise cheaper beer. Yeah. Um, because it's not about getting people in for a sense of community. It's getting people in to lose money on, on a machine. Yeah, and we saw that in some of the venues I was, you know, learning from. Um, they put in 40 machines and, and people lost their entire uh, life savings and houses and everything. So uh, I was there in the uh, you know, early 90s in Adelaide where it really sucked the life out of the pubs and that's why some of the great pubs like the Grace Darling or the Exeter or the Wheat Chief Hotel, which I love, is proudly no pokies, you know, no big screens everywhere and, and mm. have taken those pubs back to the communities and I think that's why those three in particular are, are flying. But that's also why I see um, in Brisbane particularly one of the things I really celebrate about um, brew pubs like this is that you go in on a weekend, you see mum and dad and the kids playing giant Jenga having a beer or two, you know, in a very healthy manner. The kids are seeing alcohol consumed in a positive way and then, you know, the dog's sitting there and, you know, that's a genuinely family-friendly experience. Yeah. Um, whereas if you go to one of the big barn hotels that have got pokies, they've got a kid's room that's a hermetically sealed um, games room where the kids are sort of actually separated from the parents yeah. while the parents are playing pokies. Yeah, um, at least one can sneak off to the pokies, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's anything but family friendly yeah. or child friendly because it's actually just parking them. Yeah, I mean, we want to have the whole, um, you know, the, yeah, pencil cases and some colouring and bits and pieces for the kids so that if they're happy, then mum and dad can have a drink in peace. And, uh, and they're not just needing to be thrown the iPad or... Um, but I guess those pokey ones, you visit some of those and they get brand new crayons and, you know, brand new this and that. Because, well, they're, but they're playing computer games most of the time. Yeah. They're not actually... So they're staring at a screen while yeah. mum and dad are staring at a screen. Yeah. And it, it's anything but a healthy... No one's talking to each other. Yeah. yeah. No, it's... Uh, yep, it's... Uh, I didn't think... Yeah, it, it's not great for the community, but I'm sure the, the state governments would disagree on the... <laughs> and, well, funnily enough, I would wonder how much that plays in because state governments don't get money from alcohol sales, but they get money from the pokies. And so they're almost, there's this subtle incentive for governments to favour pokies. And we've seen that in Queensland. There's been lessening of regulation around pokies whilst alcohol is almost being legislated out of existence in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, and I hear of some of the figures going through some of the venues and it's astonishing. It's um, far more than any of food and beverage only venues would ever, you know, hope to turn over. But um but yeah, that's uh we, we no there's no pokey room here. <laughs> <laughs> no, so but tell us about the beers. Now Great, yeah. you, you you're proudly a uh, there's a big sign over the door dedicated to India Pale Ales. Now Talk to me, how can you have a 3.7 and a 4.6% India Pale Ale? Yeah, I mean, IPA's gone in all different directions, Matt. I guess uh, we see, see IPA as being hop-driven beer, uh, hop-driven ales generally. But isn't um, that an American Pale Ale? Like, it, it isn't 
like a Little Creatures Pale Ale, for example, which was the beer that inspired a lot of people. Yeah. How is Obsession um, different to an American Pale Ale? Yeah, like we argue that uh, Session IPAs, and by style guidelines, is more heavily dry hopped, um, more heavily hopped, probably a bit more bitter than a standard Pale Ale, Australian Pale Ale in particular, or that 4.6% ABV. Um, yeah, probably a bit of marketing in there as well, like the XPAs and the American pales and the, I mean, the American pale is generally a bit sweeter to me mm. in terms of uh, malt profile and um, yeah, I, I love Isn't that way to balance it though? Like, isn't, it, isn't a uh, session IPA essentially an unbalanced American <laughs> pale ale? Yeah, well, I, yeah, I think I used to say XPAs run balanced pale ales, but uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, I guess we, we find obsession, I mean, it's 36 business units, so it's not sort of... Yep off the, the uh, charts, but I think it's, um, it's, it's, it's a big double dry hop and, um, and loads of you know, our favourite hops. I think it's, um, it's hit the right mark. I mean, it's certainly not going to be as approachable as um, some pale ales on the market, um, but we are deliberately making it so. So hopefully it's a little transition up from a summer golden or uh, more session friendly 4.2% pale to a, you know, a bit bigger, bigger dry hop. Um, session IPA but but certainly there's uh there's don't let marketing get in the way of a good beer so. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's, none of that's a criticism like none of no, that's a comment know. about the beer but it is yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, I mean a 3.7 session uh 3.7 percent here we've got a hazy IPA that's double dry hopped um we've you know deliberately increased the body um as much as possible to create an amazing flavoursome beer that you know, sits at uh, 3.7%. So, you know, they're challenging styles to make as well, but we think, you know, we think it's a great um, avenue. And uh, really, for us, it's all about hop-forward beers. So, um, you know, everything you taste from us will be, in some way, heavily, heavily hopped. So, would the sign above the door be dedicated to hops? Um, <laughs> would, would that be more, more accurate? Oh, well, no, we, we, we haven't made anything other than what we consider an IPA-style yep. beer. So, I mean, in that sense, we've got a, a black IPA in the tank, we've got a rye IPA in front of you, uh, a or hazy... A, 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 a black IPA or sometimes a hoppy porter, Cascadian it's called. Cascadian <laughs> dark, yeah, hoppy porter. I was, I was just with Hobart Brewing, Scott, and he has an amazing Cascadian, or Tascadian dark <laughs> ale. And he said, oh, it's a black IPA, but we, it's kind of a hoppy porter. And, um, you know, those things are interchangeable, I guess, as well. That's where beer style guidelines are not necessarily the be-all and end-all, and, and sometimes styles overlap. Uh, but, um, but, you know, it wasn't that long ago black IPAs were all the rage, and now it's hazy, cloudy IPAs, and, and um, now brute IPAs. Will we see and, a brute IPA? Uh, yeah, we're working on a recipe now. Okay. Um, so th that's what this place, uh, the incubator, will allow us to do is work on fun new things and get some immediate feedback and you know, if people love it, we'll brew it again. It, it's a style that has really excited me because I've seen the, um, with the hazy IPAs, the juicy IPAs, one of the things that people talk about is the, you know, they, they photograph the haze, but when they talk about the flavour, they talk about the hop flavours without the assertive bitterness mm. you know, that some people find unpleasant. And yeah. the brewed IPA um, seems to just have that in a much more packaged, you know, nicely packaged format. Um, a, a very personal thing, I think that hazy IPAs look terrible because it looks so dif you know, different to what beer has always been, which is a clear, 
nice head on top, and a lot of the juicy IPAs have no yeah, no head retention. Um, I think um, well, the eighty six you've got here, which is the tram line we're on, and it's sometimes a hazy tram ride home on the eighty six. <laughs> so we, that's our hazy IPA. We're calling it a hazy IPA as opposed to a New England IPA because we have tried to keep a fair whack of bitterness. So I think it's you know close to fifty IBUs, um, and you know. Yes, juicy, yes, you know, fruity, but with a decent um, backbone of bitterness um, there. But I think, uh, yeah, some of them are definitely erring towards that fruit juice um, and reading about what's happening in America. That's sort of, you know, it, we won't say we'd never make one, but it's not, we, we do like a bit of bitterness in beer. That's why we focus on IPAs and we, we like a, a balanced beer. So the Brute IPA, I think will, I had a really nice one the other day. I think well, you know I haven't had a few, uh, I haven't had many great ones so far. I've only tried three or four in Australia, but um, but I think uh, yeah, if there's bitterness, if if we can really get that hop flavour to come through, uh, but but I think the key will be working out um, the yeast with that beer as well. Um, some friends of mine have made one, um, and and the yeast sort of ended up throwing up too many esters, and it became quite um, almost wheat beer wheat beer esque okay. with the combination of champagne and brewer's yeast. But I think um, we'll uh, we'll uh, yeah we'll play around. I mean that's why worst case scenario uh, we've only got eight or ten kegs and we start again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, you talked about. You qualified your comments about Brute by saying, I've only tried two or three in Australia locally. Mm -hmm. And that's an interesting thing because it was a style that um, only evolved 18 months, two years ago in San Francisco. Uh, mm. um, and we've seen a couple of brewers now start to interpret based on what they've read. I haven't heard of too many of the brewers that have done Australian ones have been and tried. Um, I think it, well, Kim I, Sturdivant uh, was the brewer, but... I was there in October and there were none yep uh which is less than a year ago so it wasn't um it wasn't on the radar uh, really at the great american beer festival and in some of the great breweries of denver it was all um still you know still very much you know the uh, east coast uh, vermont and hazy and things so um so it'll be interesting to see um yeah i mean maybe we uh some yeah we we love to take inspiration from the Especially the West Coast and the Northwest hops, and that's our that's our bag. But I think um, uh, we'll just you know we'll, we'll we'll play around a bit and 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 make our interpretation of it. I guess it's uh, it's not like we're going to uh, uh, go over there and 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 try and exactly re exactly replicate you know one from there. But um, but we'll we think we'll have a good crack at it. Yeah. I, I guess that's what I was getting at. You've, you've got a big sign next to dedicated to IPAs. Life is short. Drink fresh. Mm. Um, and yet we see so many beers crisscrossing the the, the country, um, and they can be they can't be so fresh. We see beers coming in from America. How how important is it that uh, styles spring up that represent the community that they're brewed in, as opposed to trying to be the same as something that comes from America yeah, I mean, or we, Europe? Or yeah, a good point. I think um, I think it's going to be harder and harder as an importer or as a foreign brand to sell a lot of beer. I don't think we're going to see any massive. Uh, global craft brands become um, you know as big as some of them have in the past in Australia now that there's going to be great beer locally um, yes there will be some styles that we take inspiration from the US but if our American IPA our fixation IPA was um, brewed to style as a West Coast American IPA 
it would be just over 7% and um, ball-tearingly bitter. And we, um, we made, uh, the first brew ended up around that, but we, we ended up making what we consider a perfectly balanced um, IPA. Yes, American hops, yes, American base malt, but made fresher locally um, at 6.4% and what we consider a, a more balanced approach for our market. So if you're in a pub in Australia and there's a seven in front of that um, ABV symbol, it's, you know, an imperial pint of that beer is a very strong proposition. So I think, uh, I think it's, you know, there might be a little bit of a, a tempering of alcohol or tempering of bitterness to, uh, you know, suit the Australian palate. Uh, but I think, uh, yeah, that that's sort of uh, where, where we will take those inspirations and tweak them. I guess also making local styles, yes, that will become part of it. I guess what we're going to do here is, you know, use Victorian hops and, and with one of the beers, the Tropical IPA with mango, passion fruit and lime is a all Victorian hop beer at the moment. So um, so we can play around with different hops here as well as opposed to just, just trying to emulate styles from you know, the other side of the world. Uh, but that style is undeniably a fantastic style though and so I think it's you know it's hard not to um, uh, take some inspiration from the brewers that have been going for now 20 30 years and and doing a, a great job of it you talked about the balance of the your core IPA the fixation IPA and it's just a it is just a beautifully balanced IPA that's got that nice bitterness that you recognize but it's got the fruitiness of the hops but it's nicely integrated with the malt um, you, you talked about the ball tearing uh, West Coast IPAs how much of the evolution of that style in the in the US has you know is almost a function of the personality and you know, that big brash, um, Trump esque American you know uh, character? That, yeah. Um, and, and how much and and can you replicate that in Australia, or is the Australian culture and the Australian palate and the Australian lifestyle fundamentally different that yeah. shapes the beers? Um, we always assumed that we were five or so years behind the states and that we would gradually head towards those styles of beer. But the, the longer I've been in the industry now, 11 or 12 years, I actually think we're going to head in a slightly different direction. And I think uh, even though the climate, yes, is similar to California, I, I think the tax regime, the drink driving, um, you know, crackdown on alcohol in certain parts of Australia, I think it's definitely uh, going to head to a little bit more approachable. Um, I mean, that said, uh, maybe it's still 6.4%, but um, compared to some of the American examples where they're seven plus. I think that hits a sweet spot here for us. Some even go lower than that. If you look at the classic hop hog at you know, 5.8 or thereabouts, um, it sort of you know, is now headed towards that American pale territory. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, I, th I think we're, uh, we are heading into our own little uncharted waters a bit. Um, it, it's, just, uh, it's just taken a, a little bit of time to get there. How responsive do brewers need to be to, you know, you can go to America, try the beer, say, this is what I want to do. But how responsive do you need to be to your local market and tailor the beers to the local market? Or yeah. do you just try and persist with what you want to make? And well, if you build it, they will come. Yeah, we, um, we you know, unashamedly still make pretty full-on beers. And some people, our main IPA is still a challenge um, and it's not for them but they hopefully might gravitate towards the obsession um, which which hits a sweet spot there but you know even for some people that is too much and in Australia I think there's still going to be a massive market for the summer gold nails palers it's the biggest part of craft beer sales and um, 
And I think that's not going to change in a hurry. It's still growing strongly. Um, IPA is growing really fast, but off a really small sort of base. So I think uh, I think we've you know, got a long way to go before we see IPA as the dominant style. And I don't know if it's uh, I don't know if it's going to happen to the same extent as it did in the US. But uh, but we're going to have a lot of fun making nothing but IPAs here. Yeah. I have to say I was really disappointed. I was in the UK last year. I got off the plane hearing you know all of this excitement about the local industry there I got off the plane and I was really underwhelmed because a lot of the beers that I was trying were copies of American um, IPAs and you know you're traveling halfway around the world and still getting the same experience mm. that you would get and uh, should beer be local like should you and I guess this comes back to, to the incubator in Melbourne you know could would you do things the same? here if you're opening in Brisbane or if you're opening in Adelaide or would you have to tweak it to the local market? Well, I don't, what is an Australian, you know, local beer? I mean, that's a, that's a pretty um, tough question to answer given that we, you know, we, apart from Coopers, threw ales out the window and embraced lager for mm. 60 or 80 years um, and, and it wasn't at all about the beer it was about the label and and in some of those cases it was the same beer with just a different label was it um, and, and it was but was was that's the the question wasn't there demand for those beers in the same way that there is demand for a beer called ipa now and in, in, in certain absolutely. sections and, and how much of it was the brewers shoving these beers in our throat and how much of it was the consumer demanding oh definitely definitely in the early days it was a, a regional pride and it was about drinking the beer for your home area and it was linked to your community and they were the, the South Australian SA breweries and there was the Victoria Brewery and all of the uh, breweries associated with CUB and, and then um, you know and then in the same in Sydney and Brisbane but as that became globalized and um, and totally changed it, it sort of it, it became a very different proposition where it was pushing rather than you know consumer led but I think you know, there, hopefully there will be some new styles to develop that will be quintessentially Australian. I just, um, I think at the moment we're still in this sort of heyday of just let's let's try lots of different things. There yep. will be, I think there'll be some refreshing sours, some table beers, some farmhouse ales, some growth there. There'll be growth in more sessionable hoppy beers as well, which hopefully we're well placed to, to make some great ones. But hopefully we do find an Australian style that we lead the way with. I, I, I guess that's you know at the moment um, led by our mates at you know Stone and Wood with Pacific Ale and and an Australian hop and Australian malt and it's become a, a fantastic beer for our, our continent. And, and you name checked um, Coopers before, and I, I, I guess that on one way of thinking, the Stone and Wood Pacific Ale is almost a modern incarnation of the. Cooper's Pale Ale, so you've got that Australian ale with that lovely tropical hop aroma that mm. is indicative of modern craft beers. Yeah. Um, and that's the next incarnation, like it's an evolution of that Australian Pale Ale style. Um, but it's not a, I guess depending on how you want to define it, it was a evolution or an innovation, um, What one of those two. But uh, are, will we see some typically Australian beers come out of nowhere? Oh, I think so, for sure. I mean, the, the amount of work that's going into hop breeding, the amount of interest in, you know, Australian hops as well. Uh, there are brewers coming from all over the world to uh, look at what we're, we're growing here. And we love Enigma and uh, Vic's Secret and Ella and Galaxy, of course. And I think um, that that's going to help to define 
and, and really put Australian brewing on the map as well, the, the HPA guys. Um, but yeah, I think uh, it was an evolution. I, I love uh, everything that Cooper's stood for. I think, you know, it's great and I still do. I think the, you know, a lot of the immigrants used to drink sparkling ale and I think probably a lot of the locals had gone to lager over that, you know, the tough times. And then, and then when I started university in the mid nineties, it was all about Cooper's and they smartly got all the universities on board with the pale ale and, and, um, and you know, once you have pale ale and sparkling ale, or if that's what you grow up with in the fridge, you never really look to go back to a, uh, a mainstream sort of lager if, if you've appreciated a bit more bitterness and a bit more flavour and um, and yeah I have no doubt that Cooper's played a big part in, in educating certain palates in Australia um, you know more than uh, some of the other companies did anyway at that time yeah um, but I think um, yeah I think there, there will be an evolution I guess they're more yeast driven beers or they have been uh, it's interesting they're now doing a session R with you know really nice hop character and flavour um, and that's probably the first hop led beer I've ever had from them in 20 year, 25 years of, uh, of hanging out at the brewery. And, Which is and very much influenced by the Stonewood Pacific Art. Like yeah. it's, it's almost a closing of that loop. Well, yeah, yeah, and, and, um, and you know, and that's great. They're evolving as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of where Australian beer's headed, I think it's, it's got a bright future. We're still you know, a very small part of overall beer sales. And I think the more local breweries like this that there are that um, yeah, support their community, the better. Now, back to the incubator, you open tomorrow night officially to the public. Yeah, um, yeah, gentle opening. A gentle opening. Yeah. So uh, what, tell us about your hours. When are you going to be open? How can people uh, engage with you? Uh, we open Wednesday to Sunday uh, from 4 p.m. till 10, Wednesday to Friday, and Saturday and Sunday from midday till 10. And uh, please uh, bring in some food or order in some great food from uh, mates around the corner. There's some amazing pizzas and burgers nearby. Um, so. Uh, yeah, we uh, we hope to see people in for a tasting paddle or try some of the new beers, the Easy Street, which is a block away, uh, the 86, which is out the front, um, and, uh, and yeah, jump on the 86 tram line, come down to Collingwood and, and try a beer. Awesome. Tommy Delmont, thank you very much for hosting us at the Incubator, and uh, all the best uh, with everything fixation. Uh, thanks so much for coming in, Matt. Cheers. Cheers, mate. And that was Tommy Delmont. Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show, either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. Finally, you can tell us directly what you think by sending an email to producer at brewsnews.com.au. All letters received will receive a Brews News bottle opener, and thanks to our good friends at Beer Cartel, the letter of the week will receive a mixed six-pack of Australian craft beer. When Brews News cast and crew are buying online, we buy at Beer Cartel. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover because beer is a conversation. And we look forward to another conversation next week. Music.